Today's reading will be a collection of scriptures focused on humanity. Genesis 1.27 So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God he created them. Male and female he created them. Genesis 2.4-7 This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. When the Lord God made the heavens and the earth. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Romans five twelve through 17 Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who is a pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Thanks, Peter. Good morning and welcome, everyone. My name is Pastor Scott. So glad to have you with us here on one of those rare Sundays where you're glad to be both a husky and a cougar. Uh, and if you're a Seahawk fan, maybe you're live streaming this or going to listen later in the week. Uh, we are working our way through uh, a sermon series called Constant, The Heartbeat of Hope, where uh, a repetition of different themes every week we see the same pattern. We're going to be going through it today, talking about humanity and the way that we were created in the image of God. Though that uh, image of God has been marred in us, it's never forgotten. And God has a message for us again this morning to remember the way that he's made us. So you bow your heads and pray with me and we'll get started. Father, thank you so much for the moments ahead to uh, just be your church and be in one place. We pray, Father, that, um, that you would open our eyes and our ears and mostly our hearts, that we would have fresh revelation, that we would be reminded of your power in us. Father, we want to see you again. We want to experience you. We want to be reminded that we were created on purpose by you. In your great name we pray. Amen. Uh, today, as Peter just read, we are talking about humanity and the Imago Day, and we are going to um, be tracing over the coming weeks, over and over again, this is week three of it, but some of, the, some of us have been missing, we are going to be tracing this heartbeat of hope that will look like an echocardiogram, that as we look at different themes of scripture, that God created us, and in, in, we were in a place of creation, and that there's a, there's a theme uh, of 
God has this rising action towards us, and then there's disruption, and then there's the hope of Christ that comes always at our, at our bottom point. Pastor Richard introduced the series. He said, the bottom is, is always the beginning, and this is the place of hope, and ultimately the scripture is heading to a place of culmination. This is the, the creation and disruption, and you're not going to be able to read my handwriting, but that's okay, and hope and culmination of life in Christ. Over and over again, over in different themes, we see this. And today it's this, this question of humanity. And when we were at church camp in August, one of the things we've done six years as, as we celebrate as a church is we, we go away every August and just say, let's, let's spend a weekend in fellowship together. Because what the body of Christ is, is a family. And I'm less interested in being your pastor and more interested that this would be your church that you would feel connected to one another. And please hear me, I care very much to be your pastor. But I, I care more that you feel connected in the body of Christ. So every August, we do this thing. We go up in Lake Stevens and we stay uh, for the weekend. And after one of the talks, uh, one, of this, one of the fellows from Bethany North, uh, he came up to me and he said, you know, I always appreciate your, your messages, but, you know, and that's always as a preacher, you're like, wow, this could get good here. And he said, you know, I, I, I just always, I'm always knowing with my head that God loves me, but I have this nagging question sometimes. Does he like me? Does God like me? And I've been thinking about that question this week as we are about to study humanity and the way in which God created us from the beginning and the disruption when sin entered the world and the hope that comes ultimately in Christ as we're trying to live into this culminating effort of Christ in us, this question, does, does God like me? Does he like us? Because at the heart of, of sin is this question that, that, that we are, are asking over and over again. Are we likable to God himself? Yeah, but does God like me? And my emphasis this morning as we look at the entirety of Scripture, our goal over this series is to be looking at, at Scripture from the beginning to the end. So today we're going to be look, looking at from creation to revelation and a lot in between. But this question of does he like me, we want to recover the vision. That yes, you've been made on purpose. And though there is much to remind us of the brokenness of God's creation, both in us and in the world, this morning is meant to be a reminder and so let me just submit this simple big idea to you. Uh, if you have the booklet we gave out a couple weeks ago, we're taking notes in the booklet, or you have the sermon notes, which are left blank today, here's the big idea that you can write down. The work of the Christian life is learning to hear God's words of belonging again. The work of the Christian life is to hear God's words of belonging again and again and again. Because if you're like me, it's easy to forget. So let's look at the beginning. Let's look at the, the, the beginning, how God made us, that over and over again in this series of the heartbeat of hope and the constant of all of Scripture, we want to start at, at the creation. How did God make us? When, when God set out to make the world, what did he say about us? And so this is what Peter read, Genesis 1, God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. The image of God described in Genesis 1 is, uh, is called by theologians the Imago Dei. And that, that's a fancy theological word which literally just means in Latin, Imago, image, day of God. 
that we, as laid out in Genesis 1 and 2, we were made with, with the image of God, that God did all of the creating, and, and some people get hung up on literal six-day creation, some people get caught up into, you know, God-breathed evolution, and it's not part of this series. We know as God's people that God created the entirety of the earth and the heavens, and I just don't want to argue with you if, if that was an epoch or a day or, or an era. It doesn't matter for the sake of what we're looking at this morning. We were given the very breath of God. We were given God's breath. Listen to uh, Genesis 2. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a, a living being. And you think uh, of the picture of, of intimacy of, of, of a God who just created the heavens and the earth and the, and the waters and, and separated to create, you know, all that was living. And then now he gets his hands dirty and, and he's, he's having fun now. I mean, before there's almost an air of removal of like he's pointing at things and they're happening. But here with humanity, he's going to get his hands dirty and he, and he lifts up the dust and, and then he, he breathes into us his breath. The breath of life. I mean, that's, those of us been in the operating room, when a baby is born, there's that moment where a lung inflates with, with oxygen, and then in the, all of the days of our lives, that breath will not leave those, those lungs until the end of life. And it's God's breath inside of us. The picture is so intimate here, almost like a lover, that God's mouth on us, giving him, giving us his life. And it says there at the end of Genesis 2, all the way to 18, that, that, uh, that God created us, Adam and his wife were both naked, and, and they felt no shame. I think we have it at the end of that slide, that, that God created male and female, and, and then the end of the slide, the next slide, is it says that they felt no shame. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. On the 16th, in two weeks, when we're back here, we're going to be talking about covenant and about relationship and how that yields itself in both our service relationships and our dating and our marriage relationships. But let me just say this. There's no shame in the way that God created us. Male and female, he created us. Different but equal, he created us. His breath inside of us, he created us. And we have the image and breath of God, the Imago Dei. It's how we were made without shame. And the Hebrew word for sh- used there for shame is a word called bush. Everyone say it with me, bush. It means, it means in, in Hebrew to pale or to be ashamed, also to be disappointed. But when God created us, we were there with him, with each other, naked, no bush, no, no shame, no pale, no, no discouragement. We felt fully alive in the presence of God in Genesis 1 and 2 before sin marred the picture. This verb, bush, it's a verb used 113 times. It's also used when Moses is at the foot of Sinai. We did that series over the summer about the life of Moses. And uh, when, when Moses came down, the people of God had thought that Moses wasn't returning. And so they felt bush, they felt shame, and it led to death. Because when we have a broken picture of the image of God in us, it leads to broken places. It leads to broken relationships. It leads to broken habits. It leads to broken places of addiction and where the image of God gets marred in us. 
And so at a level, the work of the Christian life is to remember God's, God's created picture for us. That we were made without shame. This was the picture of creation. Later in, in the prophet, in the book of Joel, listen to this, Joel 2, uh, the prophet says, you'll have plenty to eat until you're full. This is how God created us. You'll have plenty to eat until you're full and you'll praise the name of the Lord, your God, who's worked wonders for you. Never again will my people be shamed, be booshed. Then you will know that I'm in Israel, says God, that I am the Lord, your God, and there's no other. Never again will my people be shamed. Same verb, boosh. Because we were made in order to be with God, experiencing God, without places of shame clouding the picture. Brennan Manning says, he's, a, he's an author who's, who's now passed, and Manning had this amazing ability to talk about the love of God. Because he was a recovering alcoholic. And he was, he was a man that knew sin and brokenness. And from his brokenness, he understood what it was to experience the fullness of no shame living. No shame living. And so Manning says this in one of his books. He says, I'm now utterly convinced on the judgment day, the Lord Jesus is going to ask us one question and only one question. Did you believe that I loved you? I mean, imagine that. A lot of us have been raised in more of a, more of a, a sin management nature of faith. And so, man, we, we imagine getting to the pearly gates and we just wonder when we get there, what is the question that God wants to ask us? What, what list of our sins and, and failings does God want to reveal to us? But wh- what if Manning's right? What if, what if on that day, on that glorious day, as we approach the throne, what if, what if your creator had one question for you? Did you believe I loved you? Because Manning says that as we, as we understand God's picture of love in our lives, as we understand this no boosh living, then we can live into the fullness of the Imago Dei. Do you believe that God loves you? Manning says this here. He says, you will trust God to the degree that you know you are loved by him. You will trust him to the degree you know you are loved by him. Man, anyone in the room, as many of us are, that are, are raising kids in this season of our life, we can hear that through that filter. That, that only as our, as our children feel loved by us will they trust us. Or in relationship with another human, in a dating relationship, in a, in a marriage relationship, in a covenant relationship, we'll talk about in two weeks. But we will understand trust only to the degree we know that we're loved by him. We must understand that in the original creation, we were created to know God's breath in us. And that that no shame living is meant to empower us to do all sorts of good things. God is always calling us to experience his fullness in order to be a blessing for his people. I mean, that is, that is the picture of Abraham. I've been reading Genesis again just devotionally and just soaking up in God's picture. And from the beginning, we were created good. And sin marred the picture. And we, we forget that God has this, this picture for my life to be a blessing. Do we believe that God loves us? It's how we were created. For many of us, uh, the, the, the reality of sin in the world, this disruption that happens here in, in the narrative of Genesis 3, and over and over again in Israel's story, over and over again in the New Testament, the disruption of sin 
it disables us to believe in the Imago Dei anymore. We look around and we say, God, you've, you maybe created us here to know your image, but your image is gone. I look at what's happening in the, in the world, image gone. I look what happens in Burlington last week, image gone. I look what happens in our cities where, where race turned against race and the violence, and the violence even in our own hearts. We say the image is gone, but it's not forgotten. There's an amazing thing that happens when you really start to understand the root of, uh, of sin and, and what, gets ha- what happens in the disruption of the Imago Dei as happens in, in Genesis 3. And Satan's tactic in Genesis 3, Genesis 1 and 2, we're living with no shame, no boosh, no boosh. We're, we're in intimacy with God. But then in Genesis 3, Genesis 3, 1, Satan, the serpent, who's in the garden, what's he doing there to begin with? Well, that's a different message. Why in the heck, in this no shame living, is that darn serpent there? I got no answers for you this morning. But he's there. And Satan's question to, to Adam and Eve in Genesis 3 is a simple one. Did, did God really say, no boosh? Did God really say that you were good? I mean, I, I know in Genesis 1 and 2 that God looked on creation and said it was, it was good. And he looked at humanity without shame and he said it was very good. But, but listen to the lie in Genesis 3. There's not a counter narrative there's not, a, there's not a, a separate set of facts. There's not a different created order that Satan wants God's people to listen to. All he wants to do is introduce a disruption, a doubt by a question. Did, did God really say those things? Did he, did he really say that you could have anything you want but just to keep the tree in the center of the garden sacred for him. Did he really say that? The last words of God in creation of Genesis 2, it was good. And the first words of the enemy is confusion and chaos. And Satan wants nothing more than for you to be asking this question in your life. Did God really say, I'm good? Did God really say that the way he made me was enough? Did God really say in, in this season of my life with all that I got going around me and all the brokenness I see out there and in here, did God really say that there's still goodness here? Satan just is introducing this question over and over again. And Satan's power comes if we can just, you know, kind of put cotton in our ears and, and stop hearing God and, and live after our own devices. Because when I stop believing that there's a created order to things, and that God's goodness will reign again. And that I'm called to both be full of the love of Christ and have that be expressing itself through me. Then, then we get to be like almost our own gods. It judges uh, 21 and 25. In those days Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. This is the disruption of sin. And this plummets us into places uh, of horrible things. Where we start to look around and say, I'm going to do my own thing. Because I can't trust that God, that God has made it good and God will make it good again. I'm going to trust myself. I'm going to trust my retirement fund alone. I'm going to trust my picture of what I see in the mirror. I'm going to trust my level of satisfaction by social media. I'm going to trust that I'm judging myself by what else is happening in society. I'm going to, I'm going to go it alone. Because we live in a fallen world and it's not the way we were made. 
And even for Christians, this, this disruption starts to manifest itself in life in the flesh and not life in the spirit. Well, I don't know what God's going to do ultimately, so I'm going I'm to just try my best to be good. I'm going to try my best to get showered on Sunday morning and to clean up. And, and if somebody asks how I'm doing, I'll say, good. Because if they knew what I knew, all is not okay all the time in here. And so we start to cover up and we start to pretend and we start to, to hear the enemy's words of doubt and chaos in our lives. Did he really say? And so in, in our flesh, we struggle with guilt and in our flesh, we, we struggle with, with shame, that, that boosh word here. That we weren't created to be in shame, but we're in places where we just over and over again, what we think about, what we see, how we live, it just reminds us that we're outside of God's picture. And so in our flesh, we strive for perfection. In our flesh, we strive to be something good. We want to be good. But over and over again, we find ourselves in disrupted states. Unable to be good alone. And Jesus says, that's okay. It's okay. You don't have to bear the weight of the world. Because when I have you in my created order, it's me that's God of your life. Not, not your own strength, your own goodness, your own discipleship habits, your own Bible reading, or your own perfection. It's not about you. It's about me, says God. I mean, think about before Jesus goes into the desert of John 4. It's the baptism of John 3, and you can read it this week devotionally, where Jesus approaches John the Baptist to get baptized, and the heavens open, and the Spirit comes down, and what does God say? God says, this is my Son with whom I am well pleased. And from that place of John 3, it says that Jesus in John 4 heads out for 40 days in the desert. Friends, we can't go into the desert of our life without hearing the affirmation of our Heavenly Father. And it's, it's desert times. It, it's dry out here. And I'm thirsty and I'm trying to be good and I'm, I'm trying to behave and I, I'm trying to have a healthy relationship and I'm, I'm trying to, to think the good things. But if we're out there on our own from our own strength, there's, there's a limit to us. It's that life of the flesh. And we need to hear our Heavenly Father who says, in my created order, you would know no shame. And the goodness of, of your creation would, would empower you to, to head into the desert and head, in, head into the, the difficulties and, and head into your workplace and head into raising your kids and head, head into your singleness. And not from a place of striving, but from a place of belonging. This is my son. This is my daughter with whom... I'm well pleased. We've got to hear the voice. I don't know if you're a runner, if you ever go running with a dog. We've got a puppy. The puppy's got a lot of energy. I've taken to running with the dog. It's quite comical. You can sit in my neighborhood someday and watch me go running past, and you can laugh at me. And I will feel no shame because I have God's goodness inside me. But if you run with the dog, there's this amazing thing you can do where if you're, if you're yelling, you know, kind of, Bad dog, bad dog. Sometimes I have to yell that at my puppy. But if you're running with the dog and you're like, bad dog, and a voice of discouragement, the dog will cower and the dog will hang back and the dog will go wayward. But if you want a dog to run, just, just try jogging along and just, good dog. 
I mean, that dog will just shoot off and just kind of pull you all the way home. Many of us spend many of our days hearing a counter-narrative in our heads. Bad dog. Man, why'd you say that? Man, why did you, why'd you look there? Man, you are so far from the picture that you want to be. And you are so far from a place where God can use you. And the voice in our head, it has us just hanging back on the back of our leash. And hear us very clearly when we say from the power of Scripture, God wants to be speaking words of affirmation in our life to empower the Spirit to live in us so the people would look at us and not see a good dog, but see Christ inside of us. Do not say, well, that guy is just holy. No, that guy knows Jesus. And he has hope. And he has joy. And he's a blessing in his community. And he was a ragtag like me, but he's got the spirit in him. And I, I want that. I mean, do you have that experience sometimes? You're out and about. You meet people at, at school or in the workplace, whatever. And you're like, I know they're a Christian. You ever have that happen? I have, there's a family right now we're inter- interacting with a lot, and I'm just like, man, they just, they've got Jesus. And how do you know? They've got this joy of the Spirit inside of them. They're not wearing church t-shirts. They're not wearing, there's like bumper stickers. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the life of Jesus living inside them. So that even in places of disruption, when they look in the world, we look at them and say, there's something there. There's a hope of Christ. And it's only the hope of Christ And so this is the third point of our outline that over and over again in the theme of humanity that in our disrupted state, it's Christ's hope as we attune to that, as we listen to that, as that lives inside of us that starts to send our life on an upward trajectory. We don't want to live in the flesh anymore. We don't want to live as people just kind of ignoring the fact that we live in disrupted states. I gathered with church leaders from around Seattle at Mount Zion Baptist on Wednesday, Thursday to pray for our communities. And they talk about how divided we are as a country. And you say, well, that's not Seattle's problem yet. Yet, we're one act of violence away from realizing how divided our city is. And so African-American and Asian-American and Norwegian-American, I mean, we just gathered and we, we lamented and we prayed and we, we brainstormed in communities about how the hope of Christ could transform this city and make us align to one another. Despite our skin tone, despite our age, despite our socioeconomic status, we, we're all too good at division. But we hide because of the disruption one of the guys at my table, he was talking about gun violence in our community. We were, we were actually meeting down in the Rainier Valley. So I said, oh, you mean like this community? But we were gathering with pastors from around Shoreline and Edmonds, North King and South Snohomish County. And he said, no, the, the gun violence in our community, in North King and South Snohomish County. He said, do you know what the number one form of gun violence is in North King and South Snohomish County? I said, I don't. Self-inflicted gunshot wounds. And many of it is people under the age of 20. We don't talk about it a whole lot. But the most gun violence that happens in our community is people shooting at themselves. Because they haven't heard yet that there's hope. 
And they're trying to live in such a way from the creation to the disruption and they're somewhere in here and they haven't learned yet that the hope of Christ means that it's okay to not be okay. And so as God's people, our job is to recover God's words for his people in our heart, in our home, in our streets, in our neighborhoods so that we don't have to be shooting ourselves anymore. We could be telling the truth that life is hard, but there's a hope of Christ to live for. So let's look at the hope of Christ. This is the story over and over again of scriptures. The story when Jesus comes in, that the hope of God is re-inaugurated. And we have the, the word in John 1. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. Jesus Becomes the second Adam. Jesus becomes the picture that God said, I always wanted it to be like this. The hope of the gospel. So that as we attune to the hope of Jesus Christ, we're not just, we're not just saying Christian mumbo jumbo. We're saying, I want the hope of humanity and I want it in Jesus and I want it in my life. Back in the prophets of Zephaniah, this, this was foretold. Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He'll rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. This is the picture of what the hope of Christ came to embody. God in us. God with us. God pleased with us. Remembering the Imago Dei. Remembering that God says that we're okay and we're going to be okay. Not by the strength of our own flesh, but because we're in relationship with Christ. And so theologian Jürgen Moltmann has some theological talk about what it means to remember the Imago Dei. Moltmann says this, the human being has been created in the direction of the image of God. Think of direction. Think of trajectory. Think of an upward arrow here. Think of the places that we're going, remembering that Christ is, is re-inaugurating the image of God in us. And so the direction of the image of God, which Christ is, that, that this is the whole trend of his designation, so that the creation of human beings is open for the incarnation. We're open for the incarnation. We're open for Christ to live in us. And then the Christology is understood as the fulfillment of the anthropology. And the anthropology becomes preparation for the Christology. And half of you are like, man, you lost me. And half of you are like, wow, I love Mormon. This is great. So the Christology and the anthropology, who Christ is and who humanity is, were made for one another. We were made to be embodied with the power of Christ. And so without Christ in us, no doubt we're shooting ourselves. And no doubt it's disruption. And no doubt it feels hopeless. And no doubt family members of mine who, you know, nobody knew they were hurting. Until an email, it's over. Separate homes, separate lives. We're moving on. But nobody knew. And so we're called for the anthropology and the Christology to have this direction towards one another. That Christ would live in us. And send us towards the culmination of history. That we would have his hope. And it's not the power of flesh, but it's the power of Christ himself. In the story told in Mark and Matthew and Luke about Jesus and a man called the demoniac. And one of the gospels has two men there. But in Mark 5, it's just one. Night and day, Mark 5, verse 1 through 5. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, there was a man who would cry out and cut himself with stones. 
wounding himself in his disrupted state. And Christ, in Mark 5, Christ goes across the lake. He goes to see that man. Because we worship a God who comes looking for us in our disruption. We worship a God who says, I'm not going to sleep until they remember that the image of God, that they have my very breath. And so this man in the tombs was, was cutting himself. A man in chains where the demons caused the man to act in increasingly bizarre ways. Cut off from his true humanity. Cut off from the image of God. Cut off from the goodness of the hope of Jesus. And Jesus goes looking for him. And Jesus casts out his demons. And there's the story of the pigs and all that. But I mean, just hear the the ethos of the story. That even in the tombs, Jesus says, I will go and find you to breathe my life back into you. It's my breath in your lungs. And I want you to remember that. And the man experiences freedom and he experiences hope and he actually says jesus can i go with you like i want to be i want to have that hope of christ i never want to leave your side and jesus says go back to your people and tell them what happened to you tell them that there's a trajectory to your life again that you understand your purpose is with christ in you and you're not trying out of your flesh to be good all the time but jesus tells him tell the others that there's Something we're heading for. There's a culmination. Tell the people what God has done for you. Do you tell the people what God has done for you? Has God done anything for you? I don't don't know your story. Some of you are like, no, I, I, I need God to do something for me. Okay? Well, God can do something for you this morning or or this afternoon or later this week. God wants to bring hope to you. And move you from living in the flesh to moving to life in the spirit. I was just like, yeah, I'm, I'm there. God's telling you to tell others that their life has purpose too. And telling you not to stay with Jesus all the time and stay in the boat. Jesus is saying, go back to your people. Into your workplace, into, your, into your, to the places where you serve. Go into the junction and order a cup of coffee and be a place of a person of peace there. Uh, go with your children into the school. Go, go into the bus. Go into your retirement community. Go, go wherever you need to go so that you can help others remember that Christ cares for them. Because this is the culmination that we're heading to. This is the ultimate culmination. At the end of our days, that we would know in Revelation 21, we would know this intimacy with God where we would never be in disrupted states that we would have in revelation 21 that jesus would wipe every tear from our eyes there'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away but at the end of the story in the culminated effort the eschatology of all things that jesus is seated on the throne saying i'm making everything new and then he said write this down for these words are trustworthy and true jesus wants to be with us but we don't live here right? And many of us on our best days live here, and so many of us spend so many of our days here. And Jesus saying, remember, God's image lives in you. Remember that I don't just love you, but I like you. And remember that you are loved by God who sees you. You know, one of the 
wonders of Facebook for those of you that are on Facebook is on your birthday, you feel like a hero, right? You ever felt like a hero on your birthday? Raise your hand, right? You think everyone, you and me, that's, that's it. I'll take it. You think everyone in the world loves me, right? I got dozens of messages and, you know, and then the day fades and we go back to the other 364 days. I got this message from this young man who I used to drive to uh, church and to Young Life. I haven't talked to him in a very long time. He said, happy birthday to one of my heroes of my faith. Man, hero. I don't live very heroic on some days. On many days, I'm reminded of all that I'm not. And maybe I'm, I'm looking in the mirror and saying, I wish I was this or this or, or, or had more of this. But God's saying, no, it's, it's not about that. It's about your spirit living in me and the hope of Jesus that sends you on a trajectory. That your life would be hope for people that need to be reminded that their life matters again. Hear it again, friends. The work of the Christian life is learning to hear God's words of belonging again and again. Again and again. How do we do that? Three simple steps. And these are just ideas just to keep you in a place where this would be practical and not just theological. Step one, open your ears with daily prayers and meditation. Open your ears. Jesus, I want to hear you again. I need to hear you again. And for me, I have to have this discipline. Before I get into email, before I get into other projects, I need to start with the word of God. Because I want God's word to be speaking his breath that lives inside of me before the world starts to just beat me down. We've got to learn to listen again. We've got to listen to him. Like how else do we hear God's word speaking into us unless we're hearing from him? Step two, open your eyes to see the beauty of Christ in community. The Imago Dei, the image of God in us, the, the no bush living, it has this practical yield of relationship with other folks. And at our best, we're, we're a broken, ragtag bunch of sinners. But we're in this together. And I will tell you that on a semi-annual or, or regular basis, people come to me and they say, I'm leaving this church, this church, because I don't feel like I belong here. You need to connect with one another that's a lunch, that's a dinner, that's, that's a connect group, or that's going to the men's breakfast. I mean, whatever little baby steps, like, man, I just don't want to do it alone anymore. And the third practical step is open your heart to the life of Christ living inside of you. Jesus, move me from a place of tombs. Move me from a place of death and discourage me. God, I, God, I, want, I want to be on this trajectory, and, and we, we can't stay here. So we'll be, we'll be back here again, and we just need to be reminded in this season, I need more of Jesus, and the bottom is just the beginning. God, send me back on that direction where the Christology and the anthropology meet, or how I made and how God made me live in union with one another. We need to remember this message of Christ living inside of us. Yeah, but does he like me? He does. He does very much. And God wanted me to remind you this morning. He likes you a great deal. Not for what you might be someday, but who he sits, who he sees who sits before him this morning. So as we continue in worship this morning, 
be reminded he loves you. He likes you. He's for you. Hear the words of your Savior again. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for the words of affirmation that come from your scriptures. As we're reminded, the, the holiest place to look is not the New York Times, but it's your holy Bible. And, and Father, from your scriptures we know that though all it seems to be marred around us, that you've made us with the capacity to know you. And you, you've made us with your very breath in our lungs. Lord, teach us to hear you again. Teach us to see you again. Teach us to experience your life inside of us. And may that send us in a direction with our lives where we have more of your hope and less of the shame. More of your joy and less of the discouragement. More of your peace and less of the anxiety. Send us on this, on this direction, on this trajectory towards more life of Christ in me. And Father, some of us in the room this morning that just need to, that flat out need to start over, or we, we feel like we're on that downward arrow, or would you be their hope? May they call upon you, may you live inside of them. And for others, Lord, where we're just in places where we're experiencing that hope and that culmination, Lord, allow us to, to speak goodness into others' life so that we can be reminders in community and in the marketplace that you're not done working and that you're here for us. Lord Jesus, thank you for all good things which come from you. In your name we, we pray, amen.